Father in heaven, we are gathered here this morning to worship you together. We thank you for this privilege. We praise you for your greatness, and we just ask for your help this morning to see and to savor who Jesus is. Grant Pam the words to say and um, help us to cling to the things that are true and right, and would you be pleased to work these out in our lives and in our homes and our families. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pam Larson is coming to share with us this morning. Um, she's going to share a lot of her personal story. So I'll just briefly tell you a little bit about her. Um, Pam is the minister for women here at North Campus. She's been in that role since 2016. Before that, she served with Mary Delk. She loves pointing women to Jesus and providing opportunities for women to be in the Word. Thank you so much for asking me to come. It's a delight to be here, and uh, I just would ask that you would pray with me again. Lord, I, I thank you that you have promised to be with us. I need you every hour. Every hour, I need you. So, most precious Lord, would you come? Would you be with us this morning? In all I share, would you just help me to point to Jesus? May Jesus be lifted up, magnified, and be seen as our all-surpassing treasure this morning, I pray. And it's in his name and for his sake. Amen. This morning, we're going to ponder the preciousness of Jesus together. The theme for all of women's ministry is foretold and fulfilled the unparalleled preciousness of Jesus. We're going to see that in a couple of different ways. In our fall Bible study, we're focusing on the foretold part. And in the winter-spring, we'll focus on fulfilled, where we're doing a study on Jesus. And we have Christmas brunch that will be December 10th, Saturday morning. So if you want to put that on your calendar and be thinking about that, we would love to have you join us for that. And now together in Moms, we're going to ponder the preciousness of Jesus together. And I just wanted to let you know that the book that is on your table this morning, uh, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper, was a generous gift to us from Desiring God. So those are free for you to take. And uh, if you already have a copy, consider sharing it with a neighbor or reading the book together with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Our theme, Ponder. I got a Webster definition of that. It means to weigh in the mind, to appraise, to think about something, to consider, especially quietly, soberly, and deeply. So throughout the year ahead, I want to challenge you to do just that. As you go about your daily routine, I want you to let your mind and your hearts just reflect on Jesus. Redirect your thoughts from the distractions and the cares of this world to the preciousness of Jesus and all he is for you. Pastor Stephen, who helped us with the wording of our theme, the unparalleled preciousness of Jesus, he said, the central truth that Paul wants to get across to the Philippians is that it's all about Jesus Christ. And we're seeing this in our sermon series, aren't we? Well, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, we get glimpses into what he was pondering, what he was weighing in his mind. In chapter 3, he thoughtfully listed all the reasons why he might have confidence in his own human resources, his own accomplishments. He pondered 
his past. So he added up his list of assets and profits, and he put them in one column, and then he discovered what my three-year-old granddaughter Lena says. That's a what. He had a lot. Paul wrote this, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then we see a key word that's at the beginning of verse 7, where he ponders something else. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, and then here's our theme verse, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then Paul goes on, he said, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So in accounting terms, Paul took all these assets, his past accomplishments, and then he moved them over into the column of liabilities. He said, these are rubbish. These are garbage. And what did he put in the asset or the profit column? He wrote, Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus is my righteousness. And you say, well, how can this be? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, that we might become the righteousness of God. So when we are in Jesus, we get his righteousness. And this great exchange, this gift of righteousness, comes only through faith. So if you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone, if you're not trusting in him, but you're still counting your other things in your asset column, I challenge you to do as Paul did and consider those assets as garbage and instead cling to the preciousness, that precious gift that Jesus has given to you. I want you to challenge some, to spend some time pondering, is this really true of me? Is knowing Jesus really more important than anything else? Does knowing Jesus honestly surpass other worthy things in my life? Is it really my heart's desire to know him more? And so my prayer is this year at Moms that you will spur one another on to know and to love Jesus, that you will help each other to truly see how precious he is, that you will know Jesus more clearly, that you will love him more deeply, that you will really see and treasure him as your precious treasure. To say with Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We are going to see some ways that Jesus has been precious to me, that I have seen him to be oh so precious. 
So pondering the preciousness of Jesus in the seasons of our life. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. He said, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And because you were all so dear to me, I want to point to the grace of Jesus in my life and I want you to look to your life and look at the ways that he has shown himself to be precious to you. I think it's indeed a really sweet thing to reflect back on our past, to see God's past grace to us as a way to increase our confidence and trust that he is faithful and he will continue to be faithful. Please don't use this handout that I, that I gave you as a place to take notes on me. I don't want this morning to be about me, okay? But you take this as a resource. Take it home, tuck, tuck it in your Bible if you want, but I want you to ponder the preciousness of Jesus in your life. And so use this as an outline to think through how Jesus has been precious to you. What are his evidences of faithfulness, his steadfast love, his grace in your life? How many of you have been to Minnehaha Falls? All right, good. Now, if you haven't been there, I want to encourage you to do that, especially at this time of the year. It's a really sweet thing. You'd, you'd park your car and you'd walk past one of the best restaurants in the Twin Cities, the Sea Salt Eatery. And you would smell fresh fried Minnesota walleye. And on your way down to see the falls, you would walk down all these steps and then you'd get a glimpse. You'd hear the, the rushing water. You'd get a glimpse of the falls. This is Minnehaha Falls here. You walk down the steps, and for the sake of illustration only, don't do this, but you're going to ignore those signs that say to stay out of the water, and you're going to step right in, right there, okay? Right here, you're going to step right there, and you're going to look at the falls, okay? You're going to look up at that water pouring down. Now, imagine yourself standing there. You're looking at the waterfall. Now listen to these words of John Piper from the book Future Grace. God's grace is ever cascading over the waterfall of the present from the inexhaustible river of grace coming to us from the future and into the ever-increasing reservoir of grace in the past. Got that? In the next five minutes, you will receive sustaining grace flowing to you from the future, and you will accumulate another five minutes worth of grace in the reservoir of the past. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Every once in a while, we need to stand right here in the middle, and we need to ponder all that God is for us in the future because we can look to our past and say, here's how he has been faithful to me. And I'm assured that more is coming. All right, so I want to look at the precious grace of Jesus, his precious grace to me in the past, his precious presence with me in the suffering and trials, and then look toward the future. So that's where I'm going this morning. As we look back, we're encouraged, we're strengthened in our faith, and we see just how faithful God has been to us. So the next time we find ourselves in a really hard spot, we can look back, we can be mindful of wave after wave of God's faithfulness and mercy and grace that has been flowing to us. And we can look up. Remember, 
we look up to see where our help is coming from. It's coming from the Lord. We remember his promises. God's grace is always flowing to us, past, present, future. So we're going to ponder together his precious grace. Now, God has been especially sweet to me. His providence to me, especially early on in my family, I was born in Minneapolis, just a block from the downtown campus, and I was raised in Cottage Grove. I was the oldest of three girls, and one of the greatest blessings of grace in my life was to have the love of Jesus shown and shared through my parents, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents in my early years. And I learned to sing so many songs about Jesus. And I want to share with you one of my favorite songs as a way of kind of walking through the ways that I've seen Jesus so precious in my life. And this song is precious to me. It's really special because it's one that my mom found really precious to her. When she was a little girl, she had polio. She was in the, 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 the period of time before vaccines were available, and she was stricken with polio. Her family... Um, grandparents, church, all gathered around her to pray and to plead for God to heal her. And this is one of the songs that she remembers as a little girl. It's called, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I have the words there for you. If you want to sing with me, I'm not, I'm not a, the best singer, so I appreciate all your help. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. He, he loved me first. At a young age, the Lord opened my eyes to see my need for a savior. And he gave me a love for and a high regard for his word. As a family, we were in church probably more days than we weren't, and you can see the photo from the Christmas program. That's me, not in my finest hour, uh, sitting on the stage during the program. I was on a Bible quiz team and memorized big chunks of scripture, and one of my favorite family memories is when my dad announced to us that we were going to, as a family, memorize Colossians chapter 3 when we went on a driving trip out to Banff. So that was our project as we were in the car, as we were eating picnic lunches. We were memorizing and reciting Colossians 3 to each other. Well, another blessing of past grace was God's kind protection. Physical protection was a first. I think as kids we don't realize how many close calls that we have because we don't recognize that our lives were in danger, but probably the most vivid in my memory was a time that I went skiing as a seventh grader and I was riding the chairlift and I was proudly wearing a scarf that my grandma had made for me. And when you get to the end of your time riding up and you know it, it turns around and goes back down the hill, well and the bar went back and guess what was stuck in the chairlift? My scarf. So I was taken around the bend and I was hanging from my neck. I wasn't strangled. I'm here to prove that. But because God's grace was that my grandmother had crocheted that scarf, it tore more easily and I went crashing to the ground and I'm fine. Okay? <laughs> so spiritual protection is another area. I, my junior and senior high years were not easy, but by God's grace and through many dangers, toils, and snares, and temptations abounding, he brought me to college where 
I got involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where I wasn't an athlete, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but I grew in my faith, and I met my husband, Barry. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Intellectual uh, protection is what I call this next section. While at college, I was confronted by worldly views, secular philosophy, challenges to everything I believed about the truth of scripture, but God protected my mind and my heart, and he drew me close, and my faith continued to grow. Heart protection is another evidence of God's grace. When I was nearing my graduation from college with a double major in biology and chemistry, I was pre-med and I was applying to medical schools all rejections. It was really difficult to bear. I was so discouraged. But my grandma, bless her heart, she wrote to me and she said, Pam, trust the Lord. Change one letter and disappointment becomes his appointment. I'm praying for you. Well, this was another encouragement to me to trust God in my life. Whatever twists and turns were ahead, Jesus was oh so precious in those days. Well, Barry and I were engaged as we graduated from college together. He was accepted to UMD Medical School in Duluth, and I worked in medical research at the University of Minnesota here in uh, Minneapolis. I worked in an area called cardiovascular pharmacology, researching high blood pressure, and I continued to pursue getting into medical school. And I was accepted in 1982. Yay! Well, we were married that next summer. We were married that summer, and I deferred my enrollment of medical school for another year so we could spend our first year of marriage together. Well, in Duluth, I continued to work in medical research, whereupon I learned a skill that I've not used since, giving IV injections to mice in their tails. Mm -hmm. It was during this year that we really prayed about the decisions that lay ahead. We, we decided that if the Lord would give us children, I wanted to be home with them in those little years and so medical school could wait. Then we come to God's bountiful provision. Our first son, Matthew, arrived in 1983. Yes, you can do the math. He's going to be 39 this year. And I attended moms at the downtown campus when he was one. So uh, we attended Bethlehem in 84, 85, when Barry was in his final year of medical school. And then we moved back to Duluth, where he did his residency training. And I, I got involved in something called Community Bible Study, CBS. And I served in the children's program, and I was teaching the adult women occasionally. And our second son, David, was born during these years. And then in 1988, our little family of four moved to Austin, Minnesota, where we welcomed two more children, uh, Sarah in 1989 and Jacob in 1992. Yes, my youngest is 30. Well, the city of Austin is the international headquarters of the, the uh, Hormel Corporation and the home of Spam, if you love Spam. Well, this company had been through, in the town, this community had been through really a gut-wrenching season. Uh, there had been this big strike that divided friends and family and churches. The community was like a spiritual desert, uh, just thirsting for water. 
So the Lord in his bountiful grace provided new mercies each morning and strength to serve in a new church plant. One of my biggest temptations and um, probably still is, is that, that I'm sufficient on my, you know, in my own strength, be self-sufficient. And it was in those years that the Lord in his mercy began to chip away at that false sense of, I've got this. I definitely did not have what it took to help four littles to flourish, not on my own. And the Lord was teaching me to rely on him, not my own strength. And I could tell you a couple of different stories, but I'll just focus on one. When my, my youngest was three, a normal baseline mammogram was done just to, you know, my doctor wanted to have that baseline out of the way. But in the process, it revealed that I, my doctor said that I had this very serious large mass. So in the five days of waiting for the biopsy, we just we cried out to the Lord for grace to trust him in whatever lay ahead, if that meant, I mean, who knows, right? And after what seemed like an eternity, the results came back, and they were non-cancerous. Praise God, but that really caused us to take a step back and say, what would I trust you, Lord, even in cancer? I was active during 27 years of being a stay-at-home mom, teaching Sunday school, leading small groups, mentoring students and young women, developing a children's Wednesday night curriculum and coordinating the children's program for community Bible study and also teaching women. I also began volunteering for a little mission agency called Vernacular Video Mission International by doing bookkeeping and accounting, not my specialty area, but I thought, hey, I could do it. Um, doing donor relations, um, even doing website development and leading short-term mission trips. And all the while, just serving in the strength that God supplied. But I never would have imagined that in learning to serve in those years that God was preparing me for more ministry ahead. But in the year about 2000, I began, this is a section, uh, God's passion for his glory here. My doctrinal, spiritual world was turned upside down. Friends began throwing around theological terms that I didn't understand. I thought I knew what I believed and, and that all my Reformed friends were wrong. But what did the Bible actually teach about the sovereignty of God, especially the sovereignty of God in salvation? So this began a pursuit for biblical truth. I wanted to know for certain what Jesus had done for me. And my appetite for God and for his word were just awakened by a season of fasting. I was just pleading with God to open my eyes. I clearly remember driving and listening to a sermon on Romans 8 by Pastor John Piper and arguing with him out loud. That gives you a little clue as to where I was at in my spiritual beliefs. And I've since actually told him that I argued with him out loud. But I was fighting against these doctrines of grace. But God, in his grace, was changing my heart. I later read this in a booklet by John Piper. He said, my experience is that clear knowledge of God from the Bible is the kindling that sustains the fires of affection for God. Knowledge of God from the Bible is the kindling that sustains the fires of affection for God. So in order to really be pondering the preciousness of Jesus, we need to be in his word. We need to know him. 
And this is what I was experiencing. As I began to see more clearly the incredibly beautiful truths of all Jesus had done for me, my love for him was increasing exponentially. I was seeing the preciousness of Jesus. And then I read this in a, in a booklet that John Piper wrote. He said, probably the most crucial kind of knowledge is the knowledge of what God is like in salvation. This is what the five points of Calvinism are about. Not the power and sovereignty of God in general, but his power and sovereignty in the way he saves people. That is why these points are sometimes called the doctrines of grace. To experience God fully, we need to know not just how he acts in general, but specifically how he saves us. How did he save me? And then he went on. He said, my own struggle makes me more patient with others who are on the way. That was me. I was on the way. And in one sense, we are all on the way. Even when we know things biblically and truly, things clear enough and precious enough to die for, we still see through a glass dimly. There can be so many tears as we seek to put our ideas through the testing fires of God's word. But all the wrestling to understand what the Bible teaches about God is worth it. God is a rock of strength in a world of quicksand. To know him in his sovereignty is to become like an oak tree in the wind of adversity and confusion. And along with strength is sweetness and tenderness beyond imagination. The sovereign lion of Judah is the sweet lamb of God, our precious Jesus. So this journey of knowing more of God was the foundation that I desperately needed. Books like Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges really helped to prepare me for those winds of adversity that were ahead in my life. I want to go next into God's grace in trials. Do you know this song? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust him more. Well, in the summer of 2007, I had a water skiing tumble. I did the sudden splits while, while I was skiing, and it changed the trajectory of the next probably year of rehab. Excruciating pain, visits to the orthopedic surgeon who said, I'm sorry, Pam, the only thing I can offer you is my pity followed by his recommendation that I have an MRI to see what was actually going on there, and that revealed that all three hamstring tendons, hamstrings are the muscles in the back of your leg, all three tendons that attach here to the bone that you feel when you sit on a chair, all three of them had ripped away from that bone. And so I needed to go to Mayo, and I'm really grateful for a wise and skilled surgeon that put Humpty Dumpty back together again. This was one of the most physically painful and humbling experiences of my life, and I'll be forever grateful for family and friends who took care of me when I could do nothing but lay on my side. Seriously, I was not allowed to bend at the waist, so I couldn't sit, I mean, I couldn't do much of anything. God was teaching me that I was not enough, and Jesus was transforming my heart to trust him more. The years leading up to this were not easy. We knew that our high school daughter 
was struggling with peer pressure, with worldly desires, many toils and snares. She was about to move to Bethel, and our hearts were crying out to the Lord to meet her there, to work in miraculous ways in her life. This is a picture of Sarah. That same summer, 2007, after she graduated from high school, on a whim, she entered the Miss Austin pageant, and she won, and then she went on to be the first Miss Capital City in 2008, and eventually she was the first runner-up in the Miss Minnesota pageant in 2009. Outwardly, so beautiful. I can brag because I'm her mom. Um, she was a star student. She had so many gifts and talents from God, but inwardly, she was miserable. She was hiding a battle with anorexia, bulimia, and she was dangerously thin. She later said that a driving factor was her perfectionism and that she felt completely dead on the inside. Nothing she did could ever be good enough. The weight of loneliness, of shame, and bearing this burden alone was just crushing her. She finally told us, and we cried out to the Lord together from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So in his mercy... And through Christian counseling, Sarah has found healing. Like the woman at the well, Jesus met her and filled her up. And she's now the mom of three littles and is really enjoying pointing them to Jesus as well. Well, in 2010, we moved back here to the Twin Cities as empty nesters. And it took our house over five years to sell. What a lesson in trusting God. We had two mortgages. We had our younger two, Sarah and Jacob, were both at Bethel. That's lots of tuition money. And Sarah was getting married. And so cash flow was an issue. And that was the reason, humanly speaking, why I sought a job and got a position at Bethlehem. This was the grace of God in leading us and in directing us. When our house finally did sell, we got a glimpse into another thing that God was doing in that trial. During those years, we had contracts for the sale that would fall through for very odd reasons. And over and over, we told our realtor, we will just keep trusting God for his perfect timing in the sale of this house. And then when we finally closed the sale, our realtor confided in us that she had been spurred on to trust in Jesus through her personal trials, and her life was forever changed because of watching us go through those years, that trial. Well, in my first role at Bethlehem, I was a ministry assistant in women's ministry, and I learned a lot about the philosophy of ministry to women here, and I began teaching women uh, Bible studies and mentoring, and in January 2016, I was asked by the pastors to step in to lead the all-church women's ministry, and since August 2016, I have served as minister for women here at the North Campus. Let's ponder the present, his precious presence in suffering and trials. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe, who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. 
Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Here's a picture of my family. In case you're wondering what they all look like uh, now, this is our most recent family picture. We are going to ponder now, pleading with the Lord for healing grace. In 2014, our granddaughter Avery, she was born and diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Now, God has been so kind in that what used to be a death sentence for kids is there are many options now for treatment and even new, a new miracle drug that has come out this year that she has started to take and we're really praying that it will just keep away her you know, infections in her lungs that could deteriorate them. And even as her treatments have been so challenging, this has opened a door for us to lovingly support this family and to point them to Jesus. We plead with the Lord not just for physical health and protection but for heart transplants for all of our grandchildren. We want hearts that love Jesus. We want our family to treasure Jesus as precious. Here's one thing I did. I recently started a podcast for kids, and I have our grandchildren help me with reading Bible stories. It's called Bible Story Time with Mimi. Disclaimer, it's not very professional. It's just me recording stories. But I initially started this for them because I wanted them to be able to listen to me reading Bible stories to them. They have these little Alexa units, you know, in their rooms, and they can say, Alexa, play this or play that, and now they can listen to me reading. Well, Avery has really uh, loved this, and she truly thinks of herself as, her part as my partner in this, and she loves to go off script. And once when we were reading together, she said, now kids, she said, she said, I have learned about Jesus from my Mimi, but you can learn about him too because his friends wrote a whole book about him. It's called the Bible. I thought, oh, it's so precious that she loves to read with me. Well, another way that we seek to pour our, you know, uh, pointing to Jesus with our grandkids is through our annual Mimi and Papa camp. When we get the grandkids, they all come and stay with us in the summer. Four years ago this month, God miraculously restored life to our grandson Silas. We know God's mighty saving power, and yet he doesn't always extend healing grace in the way that we expect. So number two, pleading for sustaining grace in grief and loss. We walked through a really difficult time this summer with our youngest son Jacob and his wife Krista. As we said hello and goodbye, to sweet Joshua James Larson this summer. Joshua fought for life for weeks within Krista's womb, but lost that battle at, toward the end of June, June 27th, when they couldn't find a heartbeat any longer. And so after 18 hours of labor, Joshua entered the world sleeping. Krista beautifully wrote this. She said, together we honored and celebrated Joshua's life, cherishing the time that we had with him. We prayed, we cried, and we smiled, as we held him in our arms, and then we sweetly sang him to sleep. A little backstory to this is that whenever our grandkids are at our house, we always tuck them in with Bible stories, and we always sing three songs, and they're all about Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. Always those three. And so when we were in the hospital with Jacob and Krista, I said, can we just tuck them in? 
So we sang together those three songs. And it was really one of the most painful and yet one of the most beautiful days of our lives as they invited us in to share that grief and that pain. And I think we all have comfort in knowing that we will see him again, that he is at perfect peace, and that the first face he ever saw was Jesus. Come, you weary hearts, now to Jesus. Come, you anxious soul, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied, he is all that we need. Become what may, that I rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. So we do, we rest in the goodness and the preciousness of Jesus, not only in grief, but when we are pleading with God to do what only God can do, and that is to reveal the preciousness of Jesus to those that we love and care for. We are pleading for the saving grace for those that we love. Only God can open blind eyes. Only God can do a heart transplant, removing that heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. And I know many of you are also pleading with God to save your loved ones, that they would see and that they would know the preciousness of Jesus rather than chasing the garbage of this world. And as we close, I want us to ponder the future to come, his glory, that this present suffering that we have in this world does not compare to the weight of glory. The Apostle Paul knew suffering. He knew intense suffering. He also knew great joy, even in spite of the suffering. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's intensely comforting to me to know that our suffering is with purpose. It's not capricious. It's not meaningless. But suffering causes us to look to Jesus, to trust our precious Jesus, and to long for our forever home with him. Paul continued, he said, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So maybe you're not in a season of suffering this morning and all is going well in your life praise god for his mercy and his grace in your life praise him for his provision for you but remember his steadfast love his mercy and his grace will be what sustains you when the winds of adversity blow sisters whatever season you are in whether sorrow or joy fasting or feasting the mundane or the marvelous Ponder Jesus and what an eternity in glory with him will be. Revelation 21 has this amazing promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I started this morning by pointing to Paul's letter to the Philippians. No wonder Paul wanted to depart and to be with Christ. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was pondering his future with Christ. He was doing life in light of and in preparation for that day. Do we live that way? Do we pray that way? Do we talk about that hope with our kids, with our grandkids? Do our neighbors see that hope? Is Jesus so precious to you that you would honestly say to die is gain? Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory, be glory for me. I'd like to sing, have us sing together, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you as our closing prayer. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more.